This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. It's been downloaded by 3.3 million Canadians and it's key in the government's pandemic response. The COVID alert app has been out for months now and more provinces are encouraging more Canadians to sign up for this app. But there's still some hesitation. The download numbers haven't been uh, as where we would like them to be, and it's not been adopted by every province across the country. COVID alert lets people know if they've been in contact with someone who has tested positive for the virus. The catch is both parties will need to download the free app on their phones in order for it to work. Welcome back to the Law Bites podcast. I hope all listeners have remained safe and are managing in what remains a hard time for many. As the second wave of COVID-19 seems to have arrived in many countries, the importance of measures such as social distancing, masks, testing and tracing takes on increased importance. In Canada, the COVID Alert app is another important part of that toolkit. The app has been downloaded more than 4 million times and has been used to alert users to a potential exposure to the virus nearly 1,500 times. It's now operational in most provinces, with Alberta and B.C. the remaining holdouts, though they are expected to implement it soon, too. Despite the potential benefits, there remain many skeptics. Joining me this week to talk about the COVID Alert app is Anne Kavukian, one of Canada's best-known privacy experts. A three-time Ontario Privacy Commissioner, she has been a leading voice on privacy in Canada and around the world for decades, and has been unequivocal in concluding that the app appropriately addresses potential privacy concerns. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Michael. It's a pleasure. Oh, I'm so glad you joined. You know, this is this is the first of a new series of podcasts, and I think just somewhat coincidentally, I've always started with a privacy commissioner, first Liz Denham and Daniel Terry, and more recently, and so it's fantastic uh, to have you kick <laughs> off another series of, of episodes at a, at a really important time. Uh, you know, as you know, the Canada's COVID alert app, the exposure notification app, launched over the summer, and it's now been downloaded more than 4 million times, and as we record this podcast, there's been nearly 1,500 reports of positive tests. But despite some of the assurances of privacy safeguards and some of the evidence that it can help, there are still many people that remain skeptical. And and you probably face much the same thing. Every time I post about it, there are no shortage of responses from people who don't trust it or say they won't be installing it. And so uh, I'm so glad you're you're here to provide your perspective. I know you've had a chance to take a look under the hood a little bit. Uh, Before we get to that, though, can you talk a bit about the app itself and what it does for those that don't know. And I want people to understand why I'm supporting this app, which is rare. And a lot of people have been really confused by my support of it. Um, I always say trust but verify. So I always look under the hood first. On two separate occasions, Apple briefed me, walked me through all of the code just to assure me, because they know my position of trust but verify, They wanted to assure me that no personal information is collected whatsoever. No name, no geolocation data, nothing. This app is totally under your control, and privacy is all about control. So if you choose to download the app, you will get the app, and it will alert you if you come within two meters or six feet of someone who has tested positive for COVID-19. 
that's it. You will be alerted. And then how you choose to proceed from that point is entirely up to you. You can choose to go see your family doctor, to go to a public health authority, get tested, or not, or do nothing. No one else has this information other than you. And that's the assurance I want to provide people that it's totally privacy protective. There's no way I would support it otherwise. Right. Now, a lot of, there's been a lot of talk, of course, about contact tracing apps. This one's being described as an exposure notification app. And I think a lot yes. of, not everybody appreciates the difference. Perhaps you can highlight how this, how this is an exposure notification app and how that differs somewhat from uh, some of the more conventional contract tracing apps we've seen. It's a huge difference. And that's, again, why I want to applaud Apple, Google. They called it an exposure notification app because they wanted people to know you're not going to be traced or tracked or surveilled, nothing. What it will alert you to, it will notify you if you've been exposed to someone who is COVID-19 positive. That's it. It won't trace you. There's no contact tracing in that sense. And, you know, they were very clear. They said, look, this is intended, this app, um, if, if you choose to use it, will complement manual contact tracing traditionally done by public health authorities. So not, it's not intended to replace that. So if you go get tested and you're tested positive, the public health authority will say to you, please tell me what family members you've met with recently or friends so we can contact them to alert them. That will continue. This app is entirely under your control. And the beauty of it, and I'm just so glad that Ontario decided to build COVID Alert, their exposure notification app, based on the Apple Google framework. And I worked with them because it was so privacy protective. I wanted this to really take off. Okay, that's a, that, that's obviously a really strong endorsement. Now, I think you've you've highlighted already in terms of the the, the notion that this doesn't replace manual contact tracing. That's, of course, been one of the considerations or issues people have raised, this concern that if we put all our faith in technology, what will that mean for so many of the other kinds of uh, essential uh, steps we need to take to address uh, COVID-19? Everything, of course, from social distancing, masks, testing, and tracing. And and I I take it you're emphasizing that this is part of the toolkit. This doesn't replace some of those more conventional steps. Exactly. This is just to alert you if you've been, you know, gone to the grocery store or whatever, and you've been exposed to someone who has tested positive, then it's up to you how you decide to proceed or not. It's entirely under your personal control. That's what I want to drive home, why this is so important. And if I can add, um, Germany, one of the the, the leading uh, privacy data protection country in the world, they based their app on the Apple Google framework, and they released it about six weeks ago. And within 24 hours, they had 6.5 million downloads of this app because people in Germany really trust their privacy commissioners there. And when the privacy commissioner said, this is totally privacy protective, there's no issue, they got 10.5 million downloads within 24 hours. And now they have over 40.1 million downloads. Uh, it's a big number, and it, it highlights uh, how even though there, there's some of the same underlying technology, there is this disconnect a little bit here in Canada right now. So, so 
you mentioned that you had the chance to take a, a look under the hood. Why don't we we address both? I mean, you've you started to talk a bit about Apple and Google, and um, for those that don't know, it, the the uh, the Canadian app COVID Alert uses some of those standards. Perhaps we can start first with those standards and what and what you've seen, and then move specifically to the Canadian COVID Alert app and that, as you mentioned, started in Ontario, uh, but now has been uh, adopted in provinces across the country. So why don't we start first with the, the Google and, and Apple standard that, that's included within the app. They wanted to be very clear that this is not a tool to trace, track anything. There's no personally identifiable data contained in the Apple Google uh, API. And in fact, they said to public health authorities, if you intend to use our framework, we ban you. That was the language they used. We ban you from collecting any geolocation data, any personal data. I mean, that's very strong language because they wanted to make it clear this will not trace you nothing. And I think that is so important to remind people because understandably, there's a lot of distrust out there. I mean, there's such a trust deficit right now and people are very concerned about COVID and there's a lot of fear. So we just have to remind people that if you choose, again, it's your choice to use an app based on the Apple Google framework, it will not collect any personal information. Okay, so that's the the underlying standard that the app is based upon. You mentioned that you you work with the Ontario government as they uh, work to develop a Canadian-based app alongside the federal government, and now we've seen it in many, though still not all, Canadian provinces. Can you tell me a bit about that experience and perhaps a bit more about what the Canadian implementation looks like? Well, when Ontario was developing their app, um, they consulted with me and... uh, we both agreed that it should be based on the Apple Google framework because of the enormous privacy protection and the attention to detail in terms of no geolocation data collected, no personal identifiers whatsoever. So I was delighted to work with the Ontario government on that. And then, as you as you know, uh, Canada federally adopted Ontario's COVID alert uh, exposure notification app, and they. Canada offers it now across the country, and I believe all of the provinces except for BC and Alberta have basically built um, their app on Ontario's, which again is based on the Apple Google framework, so totally privacy protective. You don't have to worry about any of your data being collected, and that's essential. Right. Yeah, we've seen a as, as you mentioned, those are the two provinces that that haven't shifted yet. Although there is, there have been reports that both are going to do so in the future. And yes. uh, I know that there was work from Shopify and uh, Research in Motion and some others that that tried to pull this together, along as you mentioned with the Ontario government and the federal government. Uh, you've highly, you, you've touched on location. Based tracking already, but it, I don't think we can emphasize it enough because it, it it tends to be one of the very first things people raise. They have this vision yes. of walking around with a, an app that is understandably trying to identify if you come in close proximity with someone who has tested positive, and they're saying, "Well, how is that not tracking where I am? Can can you explain how it is that this doesn't involve location tracking?" What it uses, it's it's based on uh, Bluetooth beacons, which change every uh, 15 minutes. I mean, there's no solid identifier at all. The, the Bluetooth beacons change every 15 minutes. They will alert you if you've been exposed to someone uh, within six feet or two meters who's COVID positive, but that's it. And then it continues to change. So it's not going to be able to capture your geolocation or where you were at a particular time or any of that. None of that happens. So I just want to encourage people who are considering using it. Again, it's entirely your choice 
no geolocation data would be collected. As I mentioned earlier, Apple, Google banned, I've never heard them use that word before, they banned public health authorities from collecting any of that data. Right. So so what it's really doing is tracking you in proximity to others as opposed yes. to you where you happen to be located, not well, using but... not using GPS technologies that, of course, we're familiar with for mapping technologies and the like, but instead just trying to identify other devices in in the proximity. Now, I have to say there's been a number of people that have raised this question, and it's probably useful to put it to, to address it as well. There are times they say, well, if you've tested positive, uh, you shouldn't be going out anyway. So how does this app work? And people often don't understand that this, in a sense, is retrospective looking looking back. And you, can you highlight for people to explain that, yes, once you test positive, you shouldn't be out wandering around. But in a sense, this provides the opportunity to let you know if you may have come in contact before you tested positive. Exactly. And, and also the reality, Michael, is people have lives. They're not going to never go outside or maybe they need to grab something. I mean, I, I'm not justifying anything, but I'm just saying the reality is you will come into contact with people who may be COVID-19 positive. And this is one way to address that issue. Okay. The, the, uh, the other sort of top of mind concern that I often see raised is the sense that, well, it's not just the location side, but is the government now tracking oh, me per se with oh, particular God. information and the like? And, and perhaps you could no, keep, no. put people's minds at ease on that. Oh, my God. I would I would go crazy if there was any truth to that and I was supporting it. As you know, I was privacy commissioner for three terms here in Ontario. I would totally object to anything like that. The government, my God, gaining access to any of this information no, absolutely not. Full stop. The government has no access to this information, and it is entirely up to you. It's under your personal control. Privacy is all about control, and you retain full control as to what you choose to do or not do with this app. Right. Now, you, you mentioned, of course, your, your, your three terms as Ontario Privacy Commissioner, uh, and you're, you're well known really around the world coming out of that role. I'm curious, as you, we talked about that the, the app started in Ontario, it's rolled out in other provinces, though not all provinces yet. Can you talk a bit about some of the challenges of trying to find national privacy solutions in an area that often lends itself more to provincial-based policies and sometimes provincial jurisdiction. And you see that, of course, here, both with respect to health and with privacy, though, of course, the value of having something that is adopted as a national standard and on a national basis, I think is obvious to many. I, I totally agree. And many of the provinces, I mean, the provinces work with each other. We have annual meetings, etc. But um, a lot of uh, divergence can take place. And in Ontario, as I'm sure you know, um, we have the, the provincial public sector law, we have PHIPA, health information privacy, and now they're exploring getting private sector legislation as well in Ontario uh, for privacy, as they have in BC, Alberta, Quebec, etc. So it, there is a ten, tendency to, you know, is it the federal, is it the provincial, there's a bit of a back and forth, um, but the provincial, the strength of the provincial laws is that you can focus entirely on what's happening within your province. It's, um, you have, I think, greater control as to what you can do. And we've been very fortunate in Ontario because we've had order-making power, which gives the commissioner a lot of strength as to what can take place. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that that's an interesting point. We haven't seen that at the federal level. It's been a bone of contention, certainly, for the federal commissioner, right. Daniel Terrian. Is your view that we need uh, both the uh, stronger provincial laws? You talked about the move towards some private sector changes, uh, private sector privacy laws in Ontario. And there's, of course, been much talk about the need for federal reforms as well. Well, and if I can just touch on the latter, it is appalling how there have been no changes to our federal private sector legislation, Papita, for the past, I don't know, four or five years, when every year Commissioner Daniel Terrain has been saying to Trudeau, we need to upgrade this law. Papita was enacted in the early 2000s. It's dated. We need to add some strength to it. Please, let's update it. And in 2017, when he made this plea, the federal government responded early 2018 with a report that said towards privacy by design in terms of upgrading our federal law, because Commissioner Therrien had said, well, we need to add privacy by design to the law because they just did it in the EU with the GDPR, and it was created by a Canadian and Kabukian, so why don't we have it in our law? So we thought this was going to happen because in 2018 they came out with this report towards privacy by design. Nothing has happened, Michael. Zero. And that's why I'm appalled at the lack of any action on the part of our federal government. It is appalling. Yeah, no, I know government's talked about reforms and certainly put uh, the framework around some of the kinds of things that uh, th that they would support. And I guess we're still waiting to see that come forward in some sort oh, of bill. Form. Talk is cheap. You've got to walk the talk. And I, I think you're reflecting the view of a lot in the privacy community, many in the privacy community who who have been waiting for a long time for some of those reforms. You know, the, you've provided some real assurances on the privacy side of things with the app. One of the other concerns that that's really come out from the very beginning, though, has to do with accessibility of the app. Uh, and in this instance, it, it works based, as we've talked about, on the Google Apple standard that requires relatively newer phones. And so people who have older phones aren't able to use that. You have thoughts about how we address some of those equity oh. issues, because clearly it's a significant concern. You're right. These are the challenges we're facing. Um, the beauty of Apple and Google merging together, which is rare, uh, is they wanted to provide an app that could uh, reach out to as many people as possible. And my understanding is about 80% of the mobile phones, Apple, Android, uh, iPhone, Android, um, can download this app. But of course, that still leaves about 20% who can't. And I think that's part of the government is to find ways to extend the reach of this to those who don't have these mobile devices. Yeah, no, I think that that remains a significant issue. And uh, we're obviously, you, you've talked about how there are many other countries that have adopted some of the same kind of standards. Presumably, fa they face some of the same kinds of issues in of, of ensuring this kind of a quality of access. Indeed, but I should tell you, in places that started out with a much more... Um, privacy invasive app like the UK and Australia, they've now switched over to the Apple Google framework. So even though it's far from perfect in terms of reaching everybody, more and more co countries are switching over to them. As I mentioned, Germany had ages ago and six weeks ago. So uh, the, the pursuit of perfection is extremely difficult and we have to keep trying to find solutions to reach people who can't use this. But at least there is a wide high percentage of people who can use it right now. 
Okay, and we're waiting for many of those, of course, still to download. I'm going to assume, let's conclude, I'm assuming, of course, that you've installed the app, uh, given that you've been such a prominent supporter. Um, I guess, what, do you, what in closing, what do you say to, to people that have, have still been holding out? Um, they may not have been aware, but uh, we've seen an increase, especially over the last few weeks, in terms of trying to raise more awareness, uh, and we've seen more provinces come on board. Uh, where do you see this going forward? You know, this is a tough one. I don't want to pressure people to do anything because, as I always say, privacy is about control, personal control. It has to be the individual's decision to do this. All I am asking here is for people to consider doing this and, you know, talk to their friends, family, um, consider doing this while remembering that privacy invasion is not on the table. That is not something you have to concern yourself about. No one else has access to this information. No one knows you're downloading it. Uh, it's, it's all up to you how you choose to proceed. So I'd like people to consider that when they weigh the options. It does fall to individual Canadians, and uh, it certainly, I think, many will be grateful to hear that the, some of the concerns that we've seen raised fairly regularly are, 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 have been addressed effectively by the app. Here's one thing that I would like to change. As you know, uh, restaurants and pubs now are being asked by the government to keep a list of the names and contact information of people using them um, so that they can be alerted if something happens. So first of all, the reason this is absurd is because people are falsifying information, uh, what they write down, because they don't want to be contacted. They don't want to go out for an evening dinner with whoever and have a record of that being maintained. I totally get that, and I object to this. But what I would have told the government to do is give the restaurants just a page to give to other customers that says, consider downloading the COVID-19 alert app. It's totally privacy protective. It will enable you to realize if you've been in close proximity with someone who is COVID-19 positive, and then you can decide what to do. I think that would have been a much better um, solution than asking people to give their names and contact information. They're getting false information, understandably. It's pointless doing that. That's yeah, an interesting point. I mean, I think people have highlighted that the app, so long as it's not mandated, and you, of course, have, have repeatedly referenced the need for personal choice, but so long as it's not mandated, it really can play a, a valuable role in some of those circumstances. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Oh, always a pleasure, Michael. Thank you. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy Brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Mm-hmm.